If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Coronavirus outbreak, Tennessee cleanup. I'm Ann Cates. A cruise ship with 3,500 on board has been sitting off San Francisco after some passengers and crew members came down with the coronavirus. Vice President Mike Pence has been meeting with cruise industry leaders today and says the vessel will be moved. We have, I'm pleased to report, working closely with uh, the governor of California and all of our health officials, developed a plan which is being implemented this weekend to bring the ship into a non-commercial port. Uh, All passengers and crew will be tested for the coronavirus and quarantined as appropriate. Those that require additional medical attention will also receive it. Cleanup continues in Nashville after deadly tornadoes tore through Tennessee. The sounds of Nashville usually bring a nice drum solo and some country music vocals. This weekend, add the noise of power crews and chainsaws to the mix as volunteers and city staff clear debris and start to rebuild. This Nashville native on the boot of her city. Mixed. I was going to say somber, but honestly, with how many people are coming out and doing things all over, helping however they can, kind of energized. At least that's how I'm trying to be, So, and I see it around me. Local restaurants, many without power, pulling out the grills and cooking outside. Most spots at no charge. Clayton Neville, Nashville. Former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders are campaigning in the Midwest this weekend, ahead of more primaries next week. Correspondent Abby Phillip with a tweet from Sanders. Joe Biden claims in a new ad that he has always protected Social Security. That's patently false. He can't hide 40 years of working with Republicans to cut Social Security. So things are clearly heating up here, partly because the Sanders campaign has a lot to prove. Super Tuesday did not go the way that they wanted it to. They are hoping to turn things around as they head into this next set of states on Tuesday. I'm Ann Cates.
This segment is sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue, now in Yucaipa at 33562 Yucaipa Boulevard in the Vaughn Shopping Center. Dickie's Barbecue, where you can get sauced with five delicious barbecue sauces. For the holidays, there's the Dickies Holiday Feast Options. Everything you need for a festive gathering with delicious hassle-free meals that you just eat and serve. Whatever your needs are, they have the perfect option, including the complete feast, the dinner feast, or the single holiday meats and sides. Available for pickup and delivery from Dickies. And there's no charge for kids on Sundays. In fact, the kids get free ice cream. Dickies Barbecue, now open in Yucaipa at 33562 Yucaipa Boulevard in the Vaughn Shopping Center. Center. Dickie's Barbecue, whatever your needs are. Besides being founders of our republic, what did Thomas Jefferson and George Washington have in common? Answer, hemp. America's founders were strong promoters of this extraordinarily useful agricultural crop, and both Jefferson and Washington grew it. The first draft of our Constitution was written on hemp paper. And as late as World War II, the government urgently pushed farmers to grow the crop as part of a Hemp for Victory program. So why are American farmers today prohibited from producing this patriotic, profitable, and pesticide-free plant? Political nuttiness. Most recently, in a frenzy of reefer madness, U.S. Drug Police decided that President Nixon's Controlled Substance Act of 1970 not only outlawed marijuana, but also its non-narcotic cousin, industrial hemp. If ignorance is bliss, they must have been ecstatic, yet their nuttiness remains the law of our land. The good news is that a wave of sanity is now wafting across America. In Colorado, for example, farmer Michael Bowman and Denver hemp advocate Linda Parker helped pass Amendment 64 in last fall's election. It legalizes personal pot use, which got all the media attention but it also directs the legislature to set up a program for, quote, the cultivation, processing, and sale of industrial hemp. Bowman now hopes to be the first American farmer in generations to plant a legal crop of it, hoping to do so on April 30th, the 80th birthday of family farmer hero and hemp champion Willie Nelson. The red state of Kentucky is also on the move. Its Republican Ag Commissioner, backed by its Chamber of Commerce, is campaigning to legalize hemp farming there. And Kentucky Senator Rand Paul is co-sponsoring a national bill with Oregon Democrat Ron Wyden to take hemp off the controlled substance list. This is Jim Hightower saying, to help spread this seed, go to VoteHemp.com. For several years, KCAA has been marketing the Longevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with Longevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse, and for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. Men, it's time to stay sharp. 
Now or anytime is the time to stay sharp. Have a holiday or a special event coming up. Maybe you just want to look good for that special someone. If staying sharp is important to you, then look good with the all-new Stay Sharp Barbershop in Redlands. Get a precision blade cut or barber trim from the master barbers at Stay Sharp. It's clean, convenient, and cool. Watch sports on one of the many big screen TVs. Kick back with an adult beverage and a warm towel afterwards. Tapers, crop tops, gentlemen's cuts, faux hawks, skin fades, comb overs, hot towel shaves, and hair design. Gentlemen, treat yourself to the special service at Stay Sharp. Walk-ins are welcome. Stay Sharp Barbershop at the Tri-City Center, just off Interstate 10 and the 215 between Alabama and Tennessee on the south side of the freeway. Call 909-272-2931. That's 909-272-2931 and stay sharp. The following program on KCAA is pre-recorded. Their hand, and we're going to hear from Rob what's going on there. That's going to be very exciting. And Chad Agate from a Namaste, a Canadian company in the cannabis industry. And I got to tell you, we did some research at the beginning of, or at the end of last year, I should say, doing promotions for DM Radio for this year. And I was amazed at how much innovation there is in the cannabis industry. I shouldn't be amazed because there's a lot of money in it. Here in the States, of course, it's been legalized in many of the different states across the country, even for recreational use. I think most states now have it legal for medicinal purposes. And of course, Canada has legalized it just over a year ago. So lots of stuff happening in that space. And you get to deal with plants. I love plants. I'm a big botanist. I've always been fascinated by plants. And, of course, the cannabis plant is a very special one, and it's a very powerful one. So let's talk a bit about AI in practice. First of all, one of my favorite mantras this year, and I'm going to write a book about this, I swear, is morale. <clears throat> you know, I think morale is the single most important component of any business or of any life, quite frankly. If your morale is high, you're doing well. You can get stuff done. You're happy. You're productive. If your morale is low, you don't get a lot of stuff done. And I think morale has been low in a lot of jobs for a long time now because they're very tedious. They're very boring. They're very error-prone. Think about the data entry days. Remember that? Like in the 90s, we had all these jobs that were data entry. Just people sitting at keyboards going clickety-clickety-clickety-click, clicking in stuff that was on paper. That was the old-fashioned way. And then, of course, OCR came along, optical character recognition. I actually was talking to a company called... Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back once again to Year 13. That's right, folks, for Year of DM Radio. Yes, indeed, your host here, Eric Kavanaugh. I'm very excited to be starting off 2020 with a bang, folks. We really are. We're so psyched. We've got our editorial calendar mapped out for H1 of the big year 2020. Of course, hindsight is 2020, so my big theory is we're all going to figure everything out this year, and then life will be great. At least that's what I hope. <laughs> but we're going to talk about artificial intelligence today. The exact title is AI as the Great Enabler. So my theory is that artificial intelligence really is going to enable a tremendous amount of innovation and optimization of business processes 
of mundane tasks that uh, people don't really like to do anyway. And I wanted to just point out a couple quick things before we get to our guests. We have an all-star cast today, folks. We'll be talking to Dan Turchin from Astound. We've got Vincent Sprott from Sentience dialing in from across the pond, Viral Shaw of Julia Computing, and Chris Nicholson of PathMind, formerly SkyMind all experts in artificial intelligence today. But I wanted to just say a couple quick things first off on the top of the hour here. And one is that, uh, as I've said before, I believe that the narrative is always wrong. And the narrative with AI is that it's going to take away your job. It's this red-eyed robot thing that's coming to get you. And I think that's just nonsense. Now, we may get into robotics a little bit today and how uh, reinforcement learning is good for robotics. And yes, there are some wild, pretty intense robots out there these days, but they're still pretty expensive and we're still a long, long way off from sentient or sentient-like robots, I would suggest. Maybe my guests will disagree with that. But I think in general, AI is going to be very useful and it's going to optimize jobs. So a lot of the stuff that you do as part of your job that's really tedious, like scheduling a meeting, for example, or trying to get your travel arrangements all set, even using some of these great sites these days, it's still kind of a, a pain to do that stuff. And AI is really good at those kinds of things. Of course, there are a whole host of algorithms that fall under the broad umbrella of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Some of them are actually pretty old. But uh, in general, I think these technologies are going to be very effective at tackling the tedious and allowing human beings to do the really fun and creative stuff. And so with that, let's bring in our first guest. By the way, tweet with the hashtag of DM Radio or DM Radio 2020 if you are so uh, if you're so inclined to do so. We'd love to get some interaction going online. And with that, Dan Turchin of a company called Astound. Welcome to DM Radio. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing with AI. Eric, good to be here. Long time, uh, long time fan. Pleasure to be in the hot seat today. Great, great. Yeah, tell us about Astound. Yeah, so Astound's an AI platform for employee service. And we started the company about four years ago because uh, we realized that a lot of what makes work life suck for employees at large enterprises is that uh, you're forced to do a lot of mundane stuff and wait around for other people to provide services to you during time when you would much prefer to be doing the work that excites you. And so when we think about kind of how to keep the next billion employees engaged and motivated and productive, um, we think about kind of wrapping a layer of intelligence kind of horizontally across all of these processes that happen within the four walls of the workplace. And that sounds a little bit abstract. If, uh, if it's okay, maybe I'll, I'll make it yeah, concrete yeah. a couple of examples. Yeah, so take uh, an example, uh, uh, an astound customer I met recently in the Midwest uh, uh, works at a call center, and uh, she's measured based on how many uh, trouble tickets she can resolve each day, and uh, her target is eight per day. Um, now, thanks to uh, AI-driven automation from astound, um, she's now, after six months, doing 15 tickets on average because all of the kind of messy research that she was doing on her own before now is automated. And Astound is essentially giving her kind of, um, you know, a, a, a digital dossier, uh, you know, a set of next best actions to take that learns from every interaction that every call center agent on the planet is having. So routine requests like, you know, password resets, or I need access to an application, or I need to update my benefits. These things happen 
hundreds of thousands of times a day across the world. And what Astound is doing is bu building kind of, you know, the world's largest digital brain to automate the resolution of these routine requests. Wow, that, that's really cool. And you make a really good point here, which is that again, machine learning and AI are very good at tackling mundane repetitive tasks. So for example, you can train your AI chatbot to handle requests from employees, I broke my computer, et cetera. There's, there are certain very easy phrases to, to latch on to and to understand what's happening, and then you just automate that process. And so instead of the human being having to do the same boring thing 13, 14, 15 times a day, once the algorithm learns, oh, if someone says my computer broke, kick in this process, you're incrementally automating the tedious, right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, and so to that point, what AI is not doing today is eliminating jobs or, you know, threatening, you know, whole segments of the population. In fact, um, what's actually happening... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. In the real world is AI kind of making us the best versions of humans that we can be. Mm -hmm. And the way it does that, you know, again, just simple terms. So like, you know, my friend, the call center operator, it's giving her back like, you know, an hour a day. In that hour a day, you know, what she's doing is not fearing bots. You know what she's doing? She's spending more time with her kids. You know, she's going to the kids' soccer games. You know, she's volunteering more, right? That's actually kind of the net impact that AI is and will continue to have on kind of the global population is enabling uh, the kind of experiences that we don't have today that we that, that are kind of holding us back from being the best humans we can be i think that's you know you talked about the narrative and you know maybe <laughs> what the, what, you know what are some of the the foundational reasons why the narrative is incorrect but you know i'd, I, I'd posit that um you know we're, we're thinking in the wrong way about the role of ai not not being a substitute for human intelligence but complementing human intelligence. Yeah, that's great. And you're actually um, reminding me of one of my big themes that I like to talk about, which is that AI is going to boost morale. Because to your point, you can get right to the meaty stuff that human beings want to do. You're not stuck in the mundane. And so effective use of AI boosts morale. And morale going up is only good news for employees, for businesses, for customers, for everyone, right, Dan? So the, the bane of every enterprise's existence is um, the massive tax that they incur to keep employees engaged and you know every one of us uh, every every listener is called a help desk or you know experience the pain and frustration of you know the uncertainty the wait times you know it takes multiple times to answer even the most basic of questions that's a broken process right these are data problems and so if we start to you know use you know machine learning models and natural language processing and some modern technologies we can very rapidly get to the point where we spend more time doing the things we're great at and um, you know we can essentially you know offload the burden of getting the best answer 
to the right person at the right time to these data models that take advantage of the fact that you know there are massive treasure troves of data hidden out there and if we can just unlock them using the power of ai then you know you could rapidly see how you know work gets pretty exciting and it's going to be much easier for large companies to keep their their teams motivated and engaged. I love that. I love that. And that's uh, a good segue to bring in our next guest. We have Chris Nicholson from PathMind, formerly SkyMind. Welcome to DM Radio, Chris, and, and tell us a bit about yourself and, and reinforcement learning. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Um, so PathMind is a company that applies deep reinforcement learning. So it's, it's reinforcement learning algorithms that typically use a neural net uh, somewhere inside of them um, to help businesses uh, Think about decision making in a in a smarter way. But you can you could say reinforcement learning is a search engine for decision making, right? So mm -hmm. it's searching through large state action spaces um, and surfacing new action paths that might be preferable to the ones that humans might go with if they were just trusting their gut instinct, especially yeah. in really in really complex situations. So it it allows people to test assumptions, have some more confidence in how much they know about. Uh, the space where they're considering making an expensive decision. Uh, and, that, and that's simulations in general. That's why they're used to help people kind of think about um, how they're going to approach, say, renovating a factory or building a new supply chain, right? The, these are things that you can't do over and over in the physical world because you simply don't have the budget. So people simulate for that, and then they can use reinforcement learning to optimize those simulations. So that's what we do. And we apply yeah. it to cases like supply chains, factories, call centers, any place where flow is important. Um, so I came to I came to uh, PathMind out of journalism. I spent ten years as a journalist. I was a foreign correspondent for the New York Times in Paris, France, uh, for a while, and um, an editor for Bloomberg News. Um, and I was covering finance and tech, and I began to cover AI. And then I moved to Silicon Valley about six years ago. Um, got involved with a a robo-advisor, so that's a, a, a financial advisor that automates investment management. Um, they were backed by Sequoia, and they eventually sold to BlackRock. That was called Future Advisor. So I got more and more involved in uh, certain kinds of algorithms being applied to solve certain kinds of practical problems, and, and I eventually um, partnered with somebody to found this company. Um, and, and now we're supporting industrial engineers and simulation modelers to apply uh, deep reinforcement learning to a variety of use cases. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff. And what you're really talking about is being able to use artificial intelligence to wrangle highly complex sets of activities that have tremendous numbers of interdependencies involved, mm -hmm. such that human beings are really going to have a hard time wrapping their heads around that stuff. Whereas if you use machine learning, and in this sense, I guess it's deep learning that you're using, maybe you can explain that a bit more, you're able to tackle these incredibly complex challenges and surface some really interesting ideas that can optimize processes, right? Yeah. So you've got various kind of subsets of machine learning, right? Um, deep learning is a subset of machine learning and, and deep You'd say is a technical term. It just refers to the number of uh, quote, layers or the number of mathematical operations that you that your data passes through before you reach a decision about that data. Right. And then you have, and then you have this thing called reinforcement learning, which really uses the notions of an agent acting in an environment and receiving rewards for certain actions to slowly learn which actions will receive the most rewards. And it turns out that you can combine the two, right? So your your agent can rely upon neural nets. Um, 
to to better make certain decisions, and that's where we get deep reinforcement learning. So, so deep RL um, has been used to great effect in certain problems uh, that pretty much everybody knows about. So, AlphaGo by DeepMind used a certain kind of deep reinforcement learning. Um, OpenAI's um, OpenAI's victory in Dota two. Uh, actually, there are multiple victories in several different scenarios over the last couple of years. Use deep reinforcement learning. So, so the lessons to draw from that is uh, is that deep reinforcement learning works really well in simu- in virtual environments like video games. Um, and it turns and it turns out that simulations are uh, just video games for businesses. They're slightly more boring video games uh, <laughs> from, from a gamer's perspective, uh, right. but from a business's perspective, they're very interesting because instead of winning points, you can um, theoretically at least maximize things like the flow of products through a a factory right so Mm -hmm. the efficiency of your operations and that's precisely what uh the people we work with are trying to do and what kind of data is being used in those examples in other words i understand you've got some great applicability in the manufacturing space what is the data set that you're applying the algorithms to and how does all that work yeah well that's one of the beautiful things about it actually most um, machine learning and deep learning problems run into the problem of data. Do I have enough data? Is it the right kind? Is it clean? Is it labeled? Right? And that data pre-processing is probably 80% of your work. Um, when you're working in simulations, you don't necessarily have that problem because the simulations themselves are built to generate their own synthetic data. Right? So what, what you're really doing is you're You've got a relatively small file. That's your simulation model. And if you build it right, uh, the data it generates is close enough to what you think you would encounter in the real world uh, for you to gain understandings about uh, what to expect in, in various simulations or various scenarios. So um, unlike uh, unlike a lot of other problems, in that, in that virtual space of simulations, uh, you don't run into the messiness of real-world data. Now, there, there's talk. You'll hear a lot of people talk about digital twins, for example, mm-hmm. right? That's a big thing coming out of companies like IBM. When you talk about digital twins, they're trying to plug in simulations and, or, or algorithms trained on simulations into real-world data, into ERP systems, into real-time data streams, right? And then you get back into the messiness. I mean, real life is messy, and data reflects real life, and therefore the data is messy. So you get back into the messiness of the world as soon as you get into the digital twin space. And that is also something that, uh, kind of haunts robotics. That's what you, you you can um, you can simulate robots, and a lot of people do that. But when you really get into kind of deploying robots out on a factory floor, um, you you just have to deal with uh, the the messiness and really the complexity of moving through these three dimensional environments. So people do use reinforcement learning for that uh, for that, um, but they're they're attempting to solve a much harder problem than we are. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. And, you know, I was uh, lamenting before the show for our audience's benefit here. Uh, we've got about a minute before our, our first break, so I'll just do this quickly, that uh, AI isn't always all that accurate, right? AI is not perfect by any means. That's why you have to train the algorithms and you have to stay on top of them and you have to change them and modify them over time. And I was referring to uh, the Bixby, I suppose, Nick. I guess it's really the Google Maps algorithm that uh, was giving me bad directions in New York City, telling me to go on 38th Street instead of 37th. I wound up in the Lincoln Tunnel. I wanted to get some gas, and it just could not get me to the closest gas station. And that 
that really kind of should be a problem solved by this point, I would have to think, at least by Google, because it knows where the gas stations are. It's got all that information, but it gets a bit loosey-goosey at some point in time. But we'll pick that up after the break. Folks, we'll be right back. we got another 60 seconds. we got another minute? Yes. Okay, one more minute. So let me throw this back over to Chris Nicholson. How do you train the algorithms to make sure that they're on track? 60 seconds. How do you train to make the trip? So you have various heuristics or indicators to see whether the algorithms are learning. So there's um, something uh, called entropy, for example. Entropy mm-hmm. is the amount of things you can't predict as your algorithm kind of moves through a model. Um, if the entropy doesn't decrease, it really means it's not learning anything, right? So there, there are various oh, ways. interesting. Right. Like, so there's various ways to judge whether the model is actually picking something up. Um, and in reinforcement learning, it's pretty interesting because it only really learns from rewards, right? So it depends a lot on how you decide to send a signal, send a feedback signal to your algorithm, what's good, what's bad, mm-hmm. right? It's very different than, say, a, a labeled image set um, where every, you know, there's a bunch of faces and there's a bunch of names and you just try to guess the names. You know exactly what you're trying to predict there. Rewards are more complicated. That's great. Okay, folks, uh, send me an email, info at dmradio.biz. We're talking to several experts today about artificial intelligence, AI as the great enabler. You're tuned into the first show of 2020 on DM Radio. We'll be right back. Well, look who's home. How was your day, hon? Uh, you know, stressful, exhausting. Lay down on me and we'll talk about it. Oh, Purple Mattress, you know how to support me. Hey, I'm just a mattress doing my job. You're more than that. You're a Purple Mattress. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292FQ Riverside, and K293CF Moreno Valley. Keeping me cool and comfortable the whole night through. If you're happy, I'm happy. (sighs) But you do have up to 100 days to return me for a full refund. And give up the best night's sleep I've had since I learned to walk? No way. You're the only one I want to come home to. Purple Mattress. You two can come home to a Purple Mattress by texting SHIP to 84888. And now, for a limited time, receive a free Purple product with your order when you text SHIP to 84888. That's keyword S-H-I-P to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Please do not text and drive. See purple.com for terms and conditions. According to Gartner, over 95% of IT organizations use some form of open-source software in mission-critical IT workloads, and that footprint grows by 30% annually. OpenLogic by Perforce provides enterprise support for community open-source packages, including CentOS, OpenJDK, Kubernetes, and hundreds more. They empower your business to leverage the value and freedom of open-source at scale for your mission-critical applications. With OpenLogic, you get direct access to senior open source architects with decades of experience helping some of the world's largest companies. Get unbiased, comprehensive guidance while saving yourself from the headaches that come with managing multiple support contracts from multiple vendors. Visit us at OpenLogic.com to learn more. Want to be a speaker on DM Radio in 2020? Send us an email at info at dmradio.biz. Get your voice heard in 20 U.S. markets. That's info at dmradio.biz. Scientists are trying to figure out why the universe, the 11 billion year old universe, is expanding faster than they thought. 11 billion years? Well, I'm getting old. When I was a kid, the universe was only four and a half billion years old. Which one is it? Next on Dan's Life. At Indeed, we understand that when it comes to hiring, it's important to have a large talent pool to choose from. 
But sometimes too many good options can be overwhelming. That's why Indeed doesn't just give you access to a large pool of job seekers. We also offer screener tools that let you instantly narrow down your search. Hone in on hiring with Indeed. Experience Indeed for yourself today and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting at Indeed.com slash promo. Terms and conditions apply. So I read that the universe is both 11 and a half and 13.8 billion years old. Is it any wonder we have trouble agreeing on so many other things when we don't even know how old our matrix is? Best thing I read on it, it may be both. These are two different informed and academic interpretations of Hubble telescope data, which have given us two different rates of cosmological expansion. Here's what I like to do when I want to feel smart. I come up with my own little idea, my own whimsy. What if they start finding out that the universe is also getting younger? That would be cool, huh? Anyway, good luck us making sense of time itself. A construct to only make it more palatable than our days. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Here are numbered. Maybe there are some things that we will simply never know, at least not in this lifetime, so perhaps we're destined to be in the dark. Get your radio show or podcast distributed around the world. Find out more by emailing sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. The mystery, the bittersweetness of the mystery of unknowing, is so much of the beauty. This is Dan's Life. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, welcome back here on DM Radio 2020. Hashtag DM Radio 2020. Feel free to tweet at yours truly, Eric at Eric underscore Kavanaugh. That's a K and no U. I looked in the phone book in Ireland, and that is the proper spelling of Kavanaugh, by the way. Just the jab at the people who always misspell my name, but it's okay. It's not their fault. 
And we're talking all about artificial intelligence, AI as the great enabler. We've already heard from a couple of great guests here. It's an all-star cast today. We heard from Dan Turchin of Astound.ai, and we heard from Chris Nicholson of Pathmind as well. Next up, we have Viral Shaw of Julia Computing. They've actually written a computer language called Julia. And for those of you who have ever used a Jupyter Notebook, the word Jupyter, the name, comes from an amalgam of three languages. J-U is Julia. PYT is for Python, and then R refers to R. So Jupyter Network represents Julia, Python, and R. And with that, Daryl Shaw, welcome to DM Radio. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing with artificial intelligence. Yeah, great to be on your show, Eric. Um, so Julia, as you as as you said, is a is a pro, is a new programming language. It was started out um, right at MIT. Uh, you know, I'm sitting right across the street from there. And it's been around for a, for a few years now. It's 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 a programming language that's very close to the mathematics. So people who program in Julia are able to write their programs very close to the math, and they get incredibly high performance without having to rewrite their programs in a different language. And uh, as one of the the founders uh, or one of the founding fathers, Jan Lacoon, uh, said that you know we need new languages for AI because the AI workload are so large, uh, the AI data sets are so large that it is becoming pretty hard for existing tools to keep up. The tools like Julia make it very easy uh, for, for programmers to use new hardware like GPUs and uh, you know, large cloud computing services to build efficient AI applications. One of the things that's, uh, that, that Julia enables programmers of AI to do is to combine existing uh, AI technologies with, uh, you know, with, with scientific uh, programming, right? So, for example, everyone uh, you know, seems to generally know that AI tends to require a lot of labeled data for training, right? You need to throw millions of images before your AI algorithm can tell that you know, it's looking at a dog or a traffic light. Um, and the reason is that, you know, the AI algorithm knows very little about the actual, you know, thing that you're doing about the context of what you're doing. And what Julia enables you to do is to combine some of your scientific algorithms and knowledge with the AI algorithm so that you can actually build AI applications with much lesser data. For example, you know, when you look at medical data, right, like a patient in a hospital, you may not have millions of data points about their blood pressure or their sugar or their cholesterol, um, you know, when they're admitted. Uh, but it is possible knowing what we know about how, you know, some of these, uh, you know, some of these things are regulated in the body and, and the underlying equations that govern them, that you, it, it is possible to sort of take what we know, what we call the mechanistic models in science, combine them with the machine learning and AI algorithms and actually come up with predictions for example, you know, what's the right dose to give to a patient so that you don't under-treat or over-treat them and get them out of the hospital faster. And these are some of the ways in which Julia is enabling, uh, you know, enabling diagnosis, better you know, care for patients in hospitals, better scientific applications overall. Yeah, and as I recall, in the Julia programming language, one of the cool things is that mathematical operators do what they're supposed to do, right? Which, to the average citizen out there, probably uh, makes so much sense that they're wondering why that wasn't the case beforehand. But, you know, I try to remind people that uh, 
computer languages, programming languages are just that. They are languages. They are terms and commands that are strung together in a, certain, in a particular syntax to accomplish certain objectives. And uh, it actually is pretty uh, nebulous how you can use some of these languages to accomplish fairly simple things. And so the point being that computer languages are in many ways similar to human languages and that it can be hard to describe something. And if you don't believe me, just sit down and try to, to write in perfect language how to do the most simple task, like go into your car and start it, right? I mean, or just basic procedural things actually get a little bit tricky, as does uh, policy, for example. So if you're trying to write policy for governments, it's actually pretty hard to do. If you get right down to it, you realize that the words are kind of loosey-goosey. Now, programming languages are not as loose. They are, in fact, very strict, and they have to be exact and so forth. We are seeing a bit of fuzzy logic out there these days, thanks to AI. But maybe just talk about those mathematical operators and, and how that happened and how you're able to do that, Bureau. Yeah, so, you know, Julia has its roots inside of scientific computing and applied mathematics. And that's what, you know, you know our, our, starting, uh, our starting point when we designed the Julia language was that we wanted something that was very easy to work with and that was sort of written at the level of abstraction that an engineer or a scientist or a mathematic, uh, or mathematician could work with. And, you know, when you start out with that design principle, you sort of start getting everything else right. So we decided to have first-class support for all the common mathematical operations, for all the linear algebra, for optimization, for statistics, for all these common mathematical operations, sort of available right at the language, right in the language itself. And you don't have to sort of go hunting for these things. We sort of imagine what you know a typical applied mathematical user might need, and we build the support for these in the language. So when they start you know, writing their AI applications and they need a new probability distribution or a new optimization policy or support for a new kind of hardware, it's right there. All those math mathematical operators are right there, you know, highly tuned and optimized by some of the best programmers around the world you know, in an open source community. And uh, you know, it just enables thousands and thousands of scientists to sort of get their job done in a much more efficient way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, we'll, let's bring Viral back in the round table and get our fourth and final guest who's been waiting patiently in the background, dialing in from across the pond. We've got Vincent Sprott from a company called Sentience. Vincent, tell us a bit about yourself and how you're using artificial intelligence. All right. Hi, Eric. Nice. To, very happy to be here. Um, so Sentience indeed is a, is a Belgian company, or at least our, our headquarters in Belgium. And, and at Sentience, we're quite passionate about uh, something called uh, human-centric AI. So the idea being that our question being, um, how can we directly improve people's lives with AI? Right? How can we help someone live longer, healthier, reduce stress? It can be small things. Maybe how can we optimize your commute? Maybe it's too long, a lot of traffic jams, stuff like that. So what we did is we, we, developed, we developed an AI platform that um, uses smartphone sensor data. Um, so smartphones these days measure kind of every small vibration uh, of the phone. And we use that sensor data to then model and predict human behavior, detect intent of the human behavior for example based on the vibrations of the phone the algorithms are going to figure out uh, are you in a car are you walking are you biking uh, what are you currently doing and then why are you doing it what kind of person are you right and then we combine that with um, behavioral change techniques so behavioral psychology to digitally 
coach people to improve their lives. So maybe I can give a, a very specific example of a problem we're trying to tackle, and that is actually the problem of distracted driving. So did you know, for instance, mm. that um, if you drive while using your phone for five seconds at 90 kilometers an hour, it's pretty much the same as, as if you were driving with your eyes closed across a football field. Right? Wow. So texting while driving actually um, increases the risk of having a crash by 23 times. So, so one of the big problems today for insurance companies also is um, how can we help people stop using their phone while driving? And it sounds simple, but it definitely is not. So how do we approach this? Well, Chris already um, kind of mentioned uh, the, the concept of digital twins. So our goal is, or what we, what we work on is how can we kind of create a digital twin of you as a person? How can we create uh, an AI that knows you maybe even better than you do? And and how do we do that? Well, so we all run around with smartphones almost 24-7. It's kind of, a, you could see just as an extension of your body. So what if we would leverage the, the sensors in those smartphones to really model your lifestyle? What are you doing? You're currently walking and then you're at work and then you're walking again then you go to a shop etc so the ai component kind of learns about a person person's habits lifestyles routines driving style mental state stuff like that um, and then we our behavioral psychologists create those coaching programs based on uh, on those insights to then continue continuously give you kind of personalized uh, advice to, to for instance stop uh, stop smoking or stop using the phone while driving or um, maybe mm help you, uh, give you some assistance when you have problems during travel, uh, et, et cetera. Hmm, that's really cool stuff. So, yeah, you picked up on all kinds of different use cases where AI is kind of nudging the person, right? So you're using AI to nudge someone when maybe they're getting slightly off track, almost like virtual guardrails. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So, the, well, the, the nudging part is, uh, is 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 one aspect of it, and, and that's actually where, for instance, the the reinforcement learning that um, that was mentioned earlier uh, comes in, because of course, not everyone can be coached in the same way. So, to have to have a kind of personal coach, the the AI has to learn how to approach you, and that will be very different from from someone else with a different lifestyle or character or personality. So, that that's definitely part of it. But but it's also about um, much simpler things. For example, imagine you're at a Starbucks, right? Uh, so from the phone, we get maybe a location, and we can see in our database that a Starbucks is nearby. But you can be at a Starbucks for very different reasons. Maybe you work at a Starbucks. Maybe you visit a Starbucks, you know, to get a quick coffee. Uh, maybe you live in the apartment on top of a Starbucks. So that, that's, that's also part of the, of the AI's responsibility, basically, to figure out why you do certain things. Hmm. Wow. And so who are, your, who are some of your bigger clients? Like, where do you guys actually make your money? Um, <clears throat> Well, the platform is kind of horizontal, so it's, it's been being applied in mobility, it's applied in healthcare. Um, I think our more important customers today are either in insurance, so that is, uh, for instance, car insurance, where, where insurance companies realize that um, if they can actually, you know, roll out an app, give, give it to their end users, and, and that app will coach the end users, uh, to reduce the, the risk of accidents, well, then, then both uh, the, the clients and the, and the company wins. Um, same in healthcare, so, well, health insurance. I mean, if, if, if we can digitally coach you to, to sport more or to, to take care of your nutrition, I mean, you will live longer and go to the doctor less, so the insurance company also wins. Um, and then there is fleet, everything about, about fleet uh, um, and mobility as, as, as a service. So, for example, think about large ride-hailing companies that use our technology to monitor the driving style of the drivers and and coach them you don't want to be in an uber cab for example uh if the if the driver would would go would be a crazy aggressive driver so those, those right people can coach. 
Wow. And you're just reminding me how much data is being gathered on everyone all the time. And a lot of that is coming through your phone. I mean, you mm -hmm. see this, uh, there's a car commercial, I don't know if it's Geico or who it is, but talks about how you can save money by having this app on your phone. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's great. And you also see everywhere I go and every time I break quickly or whatever I do, all that information is captured. And I'm not sure I like that so much, but uh, it is very useful in terms of training and identifying who's doing what and, and all that data is out there, right, Vincent? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that, that's a good point. That, that, that's kind of the dilemma that's going on these days, right? AI needs a lot of data. On the other hand, and that's what I, what I actually meant with a human-centric AI, on the other hand, we believe that people should actually be in control of the data. You don't you don't want to just give the data away. We all heard about uh, the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica or, uh, scandals, for example, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. If you start with uh, full transparency, um, that's what we call the algorithm of you, basically. If you start with full transparency, you let the user be in control of the data, you take care of what's called ethical AI, make sure the, data is, uh, the algorithms are not biased, for example, um, then you can actually make sure that you, or, or that the end user owns the data, um, controls the data, and, and actually can curate the data. An end user should be able to say, you know, this, this piece of data is fine that, that, that you want to use it to, to help me stop smoking, but I don't want you to use it for personal advertising, for example, right? So we're working on, on and that's kind of a second uh, project in the company, but we're working on kind of a digital wallet. Uh, and, and, and that wallet will not store money, but that, that wallet will actually store your private data on your phone. It doesn't go to the cloud. And then you as an end user are actually in charge of the data. You can actually decide what can happen with it, what cannot happen with it, who can, who can monetize it and who cannot. Yeah, you know, I mean, that sounds fantastic, but I just have to wonder to myself, because governance is such a challenging and, and tricky space, I mean, how on earth will people be able to govern their own data? Once it's created, anyone who has access to it can look at it, can leverage it. Algorithms don't care, you know, where data lives. If they get access to it, they use it. So how do you manage that? Yeah, it's hard, and of course, I mean, partially it's 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 uh, it's, it's indeed through transparency, and but, but but partially it's also legislation. I mean, in, in in Europe at least we have GDPR, which which helps a lot actually. Um, mm -hmm. Here, for example, it's 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 not possible or not legally allowed to to sell someone's data to another company. Uh, so that's that's an important thing. We like at Sentience, we only deal with first first party data, meaning the data is yours. Sixty seconds. Okay. Good, yeah. I think GDPR is a straw in the wind. There's no doubt about that. And uh, we have CCPA here in the States. But, yeah. you know, I think about these things and they sound great. I think we're on a good track there. But, oh, my goodness, it's one of these cases where the laws and the regulations are so far-reaching and the breaches yeah. will be happening everywhere. Like you look at any direction, you're going to see a breach taking place. And the problem with that kind of environment is that then adjudication and enforcement of those rules and regulations becomes a case of cherry-picking. And that's, that's dangerous. That can get political. All kind of bad stuff can happen. But I think we're up at a commercial break here next. So just hang on, folks. We'll be right back in about three, four minutes. You are listening to the longest running show in the world on data, DM Radio. Howdy. 
Howdy, folks. Colonel Sanders here to tell you about my brand new mix and match any two for six bucks deal at KFC. Pick from any two famous bowl, pot pie, tenders, and crispy Colonel sandwich. The possibilities are endless. <gasps> you can get a KFC famous bowl and a pot pie, or tenders and a sandwich, or a pot pie and tenders, or a sandwich and a famous bowl, or a sandwich and a pot pie, or a pot pie and a pot pie, or, well, it's not actually endless, but you get the idea. It's a whole lot of possibilities. This isn't rocket science, folks. It's just chicken math. Mix and match any two for six bucks at KFC. It's finger licking good. At participating KFCs for a limited time, prices may vary, tax extra. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents. And Doug. Where's the money, Karen? I'm sorry, the money? The money you saved by having Liberty Mutual customize your home insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Oh, that money. I used it to add to my collection of clown paintings. <laughs> Take a look. Ah, I mean, ah, amazing. Wow. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Poor digestion can lead to many unpleasant symptoms that can wreak havoc on your happiness. Don't suffer in silence. Get Quantum Nutrition Lab's Quantum Digest, the most potent and pure source of vegetarian enzymes to support the digestion of proteins, carbohydrates, fats, fiber, and dairy. Quantum Digest. Don't eat cooked food without it. Buy two bottles. Get the third one free. Call 888-588-7578. That's 888-588-7578. Or visit us online at qnlabs.com. That's QNLABS.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Marshall, PhD, host of Healthline. Tune in to get your questions answered and hear the latest breakthrough information for you and your family. Our product line, Quantum Nutrition Labs, delivers what others only promise, nutrition that really works. Today's top automotive tech story, I'm Nick Miles. The Ford Motor Company and McDonald's have teamed up to give your car a caffeine boost using coffee bean skins to make vehicle parts. Coffee chaff comes off naturally during the roasting process. Ford and McDonald's have found that chaff can be converted into a durable material to reinforce vehicle parts. The component will be 20% lighter and require 25% less energy during the molding process. For more automotive tech news, go to testmiles.com. The Toyota Prius is now available with electronic all-wheel drive, which means it has the highest MPG of any vehicle equipped with all-wheel drive. Visit toyota.com slash testmiles to learn more. Prius all-wheel drive E operates at speeds up to 43 MPH based on the U.S. Department of Energy data as of February 13th, 2019. Excludes all electric vehicles. You're listening to Global American Broadcasting, the GAB Radio Network. For more info on our programs and services, including technical operations, Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio, talking all about artificial intelligence as the great enabler. And it really is. It's extremely powerful stuff. It's everywhere now, folks. I promise you, AI is everywhere. It's in almost every product you touch. Somewhere along the line, AI was involved. But uh, there are a couple of interesting things to, to tackle here. One is ethics, ethical AI. Ethics keeps coming up time and again, and with good reason, because we do need to be responsible about how we use these technologies. And frankly, in the in the West here in the United States, data is still 
still the wild, wild west, and people doing all kinds of things with data. The alternative data space is absolutely massive. Frankly, I think it's uh, it's really driving a lot of the advancement of the stock market right now because there's so much granular transactional data that some of these institutional investors have access to that they know who's going to meet or beat market estimates. So that's an issue. Lots of ethical issues to be tackled here. And I'll throw it over to Dan Turcher from Astound. How how do you go about in instilling ethical practices in the use of AI? Yeah, it's a timely topic. And what we talk about at Astound is practicing what we call responsible AI. Mm-hmm. And there are three components of responsible AI. I think increasingly you're going to see regulatory frameworks that create kind of AI scorecards. Um, the three kind of foundational elements that we think about are transparency, explainability, and configurability. So one by one, so transparency, when a decision is made on your behalf, whether it's, you know, your credit score, you know, perhaps, you know, whether or not you should be incarcerated, uh, you know, lots of pretty impactful decisions are being made. We think it should be very transparent mm-hmm. when an algorithm assisted in the uh, in the kind of adjudication of that decision. Second, explainability. Uh, when an AI-based algorithm is used to make that decision, we think um, it should be clear to you what which elements of your data were used to make that decision and how the different elements of data were, were weighted. And then three, configurability. Um, we think as part of this kind of scorecarding of AI-based technologies, um, consumers, employees uh, should know how uh, the decisions that were made on their behalf were uh, are, are sensitive or how the outcomes could have been different by, call it, you know, turning levers. Um, so you know, we, we think it kind of it's incumbent on every technology vendor, and increasingly every technology vendor is going to be consuming or using AI-based technologies to practice those three principles of uh, responsible AI. I love that. I love the the simple lists, right? So we've got transparency, explainability, and configurability. I think you're dead on with all of those. And I'll bring in Chris Nicholson again from PathMind. You know, explainability, it's kind of fascinating how hard that is to do. There's actually a company in Canada, Darwin AI, that uses a deep learning module to help people explain, to help people understand how other deep learning modules got to their answer. And, of course, to your point earlier, um, Chris, the deepness of an AI algorithm has to do with the layers. And you have all these different layers. Some are hidden layers. Some are not hidden layers. And it gets really, really complex inside there. So if you have a black box, for example, determining who gets loans and who doesn't, that can get pretty dicey, right? How do you deal with that, Chris? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure anybody has a really clear answer to that, Eric. Um, but but I, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, this might sound, um, some some listeners may disagree with this. I think explainability is overrated. Um, <laughs> and the reason why I think it's overrated is because um, humans aren't very good at giving the real reasons for what they do. Right? So, so, so I feel like Amen we're to old, that. We're holding our algorithms to a double standard. Uh, now, now that is something people do. They do hold algorithms to a double standard, uh, but we should recognize that we're doing that, right? A lot of a lot of humans make decisions and kind of tell you what they were thinking. They invent a story post hoc, and I'm I'm not calling them liars. I just think that's that's how people 
come up with the reasons for what they do or understand what they do. Now, sure. uh, there, there are algorithms like decision trees where it's uh, fairly easy to figure out why it made a certain decision, and those are appropriate algorithms to use in a highly regulated uh, use case like um, credit decisions, as you mentioned. Um, and, and neural nets, I prefer to say, to call neural nets a gray box. And now a black box is something you don't, re you don't really see into a black box at all. You just see the inputs and the outputs. Um, with, a, with a neural net, you, may, you have lots of numerical parameters that are machine readable. Uh, they're not very human readable, but you have them, right? They're available to you. So we, I would call that a gray box. Maybe it's a dark gray box. Um, on that dark gray box, there's a lot of research being applied, uh, which is to say lots of people are finding new ways um, to derive explanations about why why these um, algorithms decide what they decide. There, there was some work called Lime that came out a couple of years ago that kind of shows a heat map on an image of, of what features the algorithm was looking at when it classified, say, something as a face or a human or a bicycle. Um, so there, there is active research there. I think we'll see a lot of progress in the next couple of years. But when you're talking about billion parameter models, there are probably limits to um, <laughs> explainability is overrated. I think you're right, too, that a lot of times people don't even know why they made some decision. They think they know. I mean, you have to be um, pretty self-aware to know why you decide certain things. And, and that's a journey. I hate that word, by the way, but I'll use it in this, in this instance uh, for any human being to understand what motivates you. Why do you make certain decisions? You never know. Uh, and, and this is one of my big soapbox issues, too, with science. People talk about data science, and there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding in terms of science and how that stuff works. People say it's been scientifically proven that X, Y, Z. No, really, it hasn't been. You disprove things using science if you're doing it responsibly. But getting back to that uh, ethical standard here, I'll throw it over to Viral Shaw from Julia Computing. How do we have these conversations? Because uh, ethics are always a little bit loosey-goosey, right? What do you think, Viral? Yeah, so, uh, you know, ethics are always loosey-goosey. And also I should point out that ethics, uh, you know, and morality change over time, right? So what right. would be considered moral today might not have been you know, 100 years ago and might not be the same 100 years from now. Um, I, I'm sort of, I, I would agree with what Chris explained about explainability of AI, right? That it's it's not that we need to understand what the AI algorithm is necessarily doing in an explainable way, but that the outcomes that we get from these algorithms are not violating, you know, our ethics and moralities in society, right? So, it, it's not important to understand why an AI algorithm made a particular lending decision, but that the outcome of the lending this decision should be fair as per what the law requires it to be, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's sort of, you know, it's, it's the outcomes of these algorithms. It's how we as a society govern them. It's how we as a society want fairness and, and ethics. Is is more important than sort of what is happening in the, in the gray boxes or the black boxes of these algorithms, and uh, and that's how societies performed before, you know, and that's how we should continue going forward. So you know, it, the same thing applies to fake news or you know the deep fake videos or just about any form of bias that an algorithm has, right? That we should, as a society, not tolerate these biases and figure out how to codify our laws and uh, 
our value systems. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. And uh, Vincent Sprott, I'll bring you back in from Sentience Ethics. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, I think, before about GDPR and in the European Union, which uh, it has great intentions. There's no doubt about that. I do worry that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But how do we instill ethical practices with the use of AI, especially when the power is so tantalizing? Vincent? Yeah, so, I mean, privacy is, is, is obviously much much more than, than just a legal aspect, right? There is there is a lot you can do. Apple, for example, is kind of a front runner on, on what is called uh, differential uh, privacy. And the idea of differential privacy is that you basically send pieces of data to the backend, but in such a way that it is mathematically impossible for your servers to ever figure out which person this data belongs to. So there are multiple uh, technical ways to, to preserve privacy. But uh, uh, something I, I wanted to, to touch up upon, and, and that was mentioned uh, before, is actually the, the bias part, right, the fairness part. And because I think there the, something that, that, that really matters is there is a legal definition of fairness, right? You cannot have, it's in, there, in the law state, you cannot have disparate treatment. You cannot have disparate impact. So disparate mm-hmm. treatment means you cannot, you're not allowed to treat people differently based on some sensitive attribute, be it gender or, or, or skin color or whatever. Um, and disparate impact means even if you don't treat them differently or, or not deliberately, they can also not be impacted. Uh, mm-hmm. So how do you transform that to an AI algorithm? If we want to, to give an, a machine learning algorithm the, the power to make certain decisions, you have to make sure that that algorithm also is does not do disparate treatment or uh, disparate impact, and and that's a very um, it's a huge research field because it's it's a very difficult problem. Um, and why is that? Because there are very, there are different ways to measure the accuracy of your, your algorithms. For example, let's say uh, KCAA Loma Linda, ten fifty AM, one hundred six point five FM, and now one hundred two point three. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.